Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of the, of the Building Services Podcast. It's been a while since I've had um, not one but two guests, but I've got two guests with me, uh, very special guests who we've known for, for some time now. Um, we, we're going to be having a conversation about uh, the NHS and the challenges that lay ahead from an energy, a sustainability uh, and a practicality perspective. And, and I hope that all uh, the guests that we have will provide some very useful information. So. I have with me uh, Austin Owens and Oliver Riley. Um, uh, Oliver, start actually, awesome. Starting with you, can I get you to give a little bit of an introduction to uh, our listeners? Sure. So um, I guess I should start off by saying I'm not a clinician <laughs> in that regard. So my background: I worked in the NHS as an accountant, a uh, CIP accountant, uh, for ten years, and have worked in the space of management consultancy. Um, I currently work for a firm called GBP Consult and we work around infrastructure planning, um, particularly to the NHS, but the wider public sector, such as local authority. Um, and I guess just to give you an insight, I think I've got a unique perspective in terms of some of the challenges and opportunities that the NHS is facing at the moment. Thanks, awesome. Um, Oliver. Hi, Mo. It's great to be here. Thanks for uh, for having me. And uh, yeah, I'm Oliver Riley. Um, I'm a building services engineer and I've been involved in energy and sustainability for about 20 years. Uh, I work for a practice called Silver EMS and we're all about delivering the net zero transition in the built environment. We we are currently working uh, on, on a couple of NHS projects involving decarbonisation of uh, acute hospital sites. So have some um, experience from the coalface, if you will. And uh, yeah, lots of uh, very interesting time for um, both the NHS and our industry as a whole. Definitely. I think post COP26, this whole conversation started about uh, the, op well, it, it started beforehand, but it came to light a little bit more in COP26 about uh, CO2 emissions from buildings and how uh, it's for your testing now, but it's about 40% uh, of That's CO2 right. emissions in the UK are emitted from the operation of buildings. 4% um, of that is from the NHS um, and we're looking to reduce it uh, by 2050 is the target uh, for all buildings to get that down to as close as possible, if not lower than, if not at zero. Um, which will have huge environmental implications. Obviously, Oliver, you're going to be focusing more, well, what you do is focus more on, on how these buildings are operated. Also, you take into account multiple things in terms of the positioning of the building, what it's used for, is it used correctly, um, and can that be improved? So I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation, but uh, also, if I can begin with yourself, you've got a few words to share. Sure. So that that opening statement, you know, if anybody said that to me in an interview, I'd be like, I'd snap them up. I said, right, you need to come on board. <laughs> so, I, you know, um, if you were to ask uh, uh, Joe Public or the person, you know, lay, uh, in layman terms, in terms of what space, what the biggest challenge facing the NHS, clearly COVID is one of them. Clearly access to primary care in terms that you pick up the phone to get an appointment to your GP, um, you know, all the stuff which is just uh, you know off the tip of the tongue, so to speak, and that is that is true. Um, but I think there's a there's a bigger picture in terms of uh, the system at the moment. Um, 
which is going through a fundamental change in terms of how it's commissioned and delivers services. Uh, your your uh, people on the front line may not see the fundamental changes that are happening behind the scenes. And I, and I say that, I mean the transformation in terms of commissionings from CCGs, which is your, I should know this off by heart, clinical commissioning groups to ICSs, um, which is your integrated care system or ICBs, integrated care boards. I'm going to break down, uh, you know, what we're talking about is having a, a different approach in terms of how services are commissioned. The narrative and the jargon, it can it can be like a, um, is it Alice in Wonderland? It takes you down a different route. Um, and actually what we're trying to do is assess, A, how can we address better health, uh, how can we address better outcomes across the board for everybody? Um, how can we give better access to care? Um, so that's not just only, you know, the point when you pick up the phone to a GP, um, but actually, can I go to my local hospital and get services that are the same for everybody everywhere? Um, and that's quite a nuanced question to answer because that, you know, for a number of different things from finance, activity, um, resources, workforce, all play into what that looks like. Um, but what can often get neglected is um, our state uh, and uh, the ability to have the fact that everybody looks at NHS and they see, you know, what's the first picture comes to mind, probably a doctor, a nurse, and then the hospital. Um, it can be neglected that actually point of reference could be your primary care trust or your mental health trust or your community services. And those those buildings, that infrastructure, that estate um, is almost like the point of reference where people first come into the NHS. And if we get that right and becoming being used in a more efficient and effective and optimised and appropriate manner, Funnily enough, it alleviates some of the pressures in what we call A&E and the other parts of the system. Um, everything needs to be working at a high level, um, but actually that front door or that primary care service facilities, there's other ways to do it. Time's moved on now in terms of what we understand. There's a huge amount of data that we collect, um, some of which is already available and some of it we plan to work. You know, it's been unlocked by um, digital innovations. We can now do things a lot better. Um, this goes without saying, I'm sure we'll say this over uh, the course of the podcast, but Covid blessing and a curse, you know, it's uh, um, a tragedy in terms of some of the things that we've had to go through in the last was it 18 months. But actually what it's enabled is um, for systems to speed up. And some of the change that we were after, um, which would have taken two years, three years, we've had to do it overnight. Um, I'm going to say this. We don't want to go back to how we've done things before. If we've embraced video conferencing, if we've embraced telephone appointments, let's do that, but now do it in a manner where it's more efficient in terms of taking it forward. And as we go into planning, how can we articulate that going forward in terms of services? If that none of that makes sense, um, what I'm trying to articulate is we can deliver services more efficiently now by taking advantage of how we how we have access to it. Um, and that all very much tells from a understanding, well, you know, on a practical level, how many clinical rooms do we need in a certain building? How many treatments rooms do we need? Do we need treatment rooms at all? Is it all going to be done virtually? How is that collated and costed and, and planned out? And then that drives the position where someone like myself come in and say, look, here is the opportunity. Here are the efficiencies. How can we take that forward? When when you say delivering services, also, you mean like how quickly you could get, let's say, somebody who needs medical attention? Yeah, yeah. Like, and I, and I think um, so. Uh, Yes and no. So um, uh, clearly in layman terms, it's like how quickly can you get access to a GP or an actor? But actually, I think there's this uh, uh, area which 
maybe called social prescribing or it has different names to it um where you, before you even get to the point is actually do you need to see a gp you know where are the services that are you know the holistic approach so whether it be mental health or the kind of iap services which come back to me i'll tell you what iap stands for but kind of talking therapy how can we get third sector how can we get charities involved which uh how can we get local authorities involved supporting housing support whether it be employment which give a more holistic approach i think some of the biggest issues around healthcare not all um you can be supported with uh, wraparound services, whether it be physio, what did I mention, talking therapy in terms of mental health or third sector charities, which offer listening services to kind of address those issues. But, you know, what am I missing out? Um, uh, uh, weight management courses, um, smoking cessation, there's a whole raft of things which you, it's a grey line as to whether should the NHS be paying for this, should the NHS be delivering this? Or do we need to bring other bodies that sit alongside it where we've got a captive audience, i.e. within a GP practice or service that can pick up these issues? Um, I'll, I'll throw the cats among the pigeons, if that's the right phrase. Um, and this is where sustainability becomes very important because, uh, I'm, uh, let me simplify it even more, why can't we have you know, local authorities housed in, the, in a facility which has a GP practice? Why can't we have a sports centre? And we do, there are examples of that, which is embedded or, you know, on the same site in the same building as a GP practice or physiotherapies. So you're bringing together um, professionals where they're lining their services together. Um, and it, it paints a picture of a more integrated uh, partnership working society. Alston, there's a fascinating link there, isn't there, between um, health and, and um, a, a population and the, the sort of social habits we adopt and ultimately um, the ability the ability of the NHS um, to, to deliver its objective to, to, to deliver care and clearly um, the lesser the burden which we seems to be ever increasing um, that we can put on the NHS the better it will be able to serve those who really need it and well, I, I think one of the really interesting things about the um, the NHS net zero strategy which was um, set in motion uh, last year um, was the very clear link drawn between the the goals of the net zero um, strategy and the goals of uh, the, the health objectives of the NHS because um, uh, you know a big part of net zero is um, about reducing reducing um, combustion uh, for instance and airborne pollution that is a huge um, health problem in our cities, uh, and and it's very topical and and need, needs to be uh, addressed in decarbonising buildings um, by by removing combustion um, equipment and boilers uh, will have a greatly beneficial uh, effect. In addition, you know there are other aspects of the net zero strategy around mobility, removing combustion engine vehicles, uh, the increased um, aspirations for people walking and cycling uh, for last mile mobility, all all tie into um, our societal health objectives. And that was very clearly articulated, I think, in, in, the, in the NHS net zero strategy. Definitely. If I can add in there, you, I'm sat in the middle of both sides where 
like my wife's asthmatic, so she needs some attention time to time. She's previously had some medical uh, challenges from a breathing perspective. Um, and, and then I'm also working with various consultants about the reduction of, of CO2 emissions. And only recently the, uh, the ULEZ charge came in place. Um, the effect that's had on my family in terms of how much more attention they need just from an asthma asthmatic perspective um, is huge. Like, she's a lot better. Um, my kids, uh, one of them showing signs of asthma, may have inherited it, but he's been a lot better. Um, so that I can see the benefit on both sides, as in how much more resources do the NHS need to allocate and um, what, has, what, what impact has that had on, on my family's health? So, and I'm sure there's loads of other people that are feeling the same. Um, and just, yeah, I just thought I'd share that. No, again, and I think you, you alluded to it, so it'd be a crime if I didn't say this, it's not a catchphrase, but population health. Um, again, I'll, I'll put my hand up and say, I'm not entirely sure the actual definition, but I can talk around the subject matter. Um, and actually, it's like we're in a position where um, our services are, are not designed for the service per se, so we don't necessarily need a, an AD department that you know people go to and they know what they're there for. But actually, how can we make services more patient-centric or people-centric? So we, we look at cohort of a certain demographic of the country and say, how can we make sure that their outcomes are better than what they currently are at the moment? And, to, and have the focused approach as that um, in terms of driving that forward. I'll just say one other point. I think all of this wraps around to our system leaders, and I say system leaders, what I'm talking about is actually your uh, chief execs of trust or, or, or regional uh, leaders that are that tackle this issue day in, day night. Um, we said it already, COVID is a priority, uh, managing elective care backlog or um, operations of surgery and so forth is a key operation making sure staff are healthy and, and able to do their job is, is fundamentally important. And then, you know, in a list, and I don't know where, where it is as a priority, um, you've got sustainability, you've got um, uh, state strategies that are trying to drive around, make sure the buildings that are, are these services are delivered in are, are kept uh, appropriate and well-maintained and so forth. I would say this, but I'm in the, in the sector and the industry, backlog maintenance, or just the, the maintenance of um, making sure that our existing estate and buildings are kept, you know, in a good and, and uh, top shape um, is a huge issue. Um, and I'd say, I think I can say this, that there are uh, trusts or facilities up and down the country that are probably, you know, at tipping point. Um, and I think in most recent uh, months, uh, definitely say last year or so, it's become a higher profile because we know we can do things a little bit different. Um, but it can't be done in isolation. Uh, ultimately, and I, I probably again, I'm going to repeat myself, uh, it has to be driven by a clinical strategy and focus. But then behind that is that there's a, there are enablers which make sure that we make, we make the right decisions at the right time and give right prioritisation. So we talk about, um, and I'm going to say it wrong, is it the net carbon strategy? What have I said? <laughs> yeah, the, the net zero, net zero strategy. Um, uh, is the uh, well the, the report was called delivering a net zero national health service i did i did know that but i yeah, just uh, yeah, stumbled yeah. on my words <laughs> <laughs> so it was like that that's an enabler um but i don't know if that is keeping our chief execs and directors of finance and director of resources up at night um but it probably needs to and this is very much about a position of you invest now to save later which is a yeah. difficult um, beast to kind of kind of balance
it is my feeling is that um it is keeping some people uh up at night and it's and, and keeping some some people yeah pretty preoccupied there's um uh, a task force has been uh established by um uh, an nhs veteran dr nick watts and and uh, a team and nationwide to to drive these um objectives and uh, as you say uh, um alston it, there are there are issues around the estates um and backlog maintenance being one of them a and also as you've said suggested strategic planning uh for, for estates and i think that's one of the key um uh, objectives of the task force as, as, as far as as i can understand and, and what what i saw one of them their uh, members presenting last week at the um, mx exhibition at excel uh it's very much about putting a strategy in place uh, to try to address these things so you don't get um you know project-led um initiatives that are out of sync with the wider strategy um and and there are you know, we've talked about decarbonization of buildings but there are um the, the net zero strategy actually encompasses a number of objectives around the nhs and i think what they've captured there in the objectives is quite interesting i'll just i'll just rattle them off um you've got decarbonization of the estates and buildings um which is a great one and i can talk all afternoon about that um but also uh, establishing a circular economy uh, around around the nhs electrifying the the fleet uh, and obviously the 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 enabling infrastructure for that there's engaging with the nhs supply chain to drive uh, a, a zero carbon strategy through the supply chain which of course is a huge um issue of its own a huge mechanism supporting the the nhs preparing for severe weather events or climate change adaptation as um as it's known and, and the, the last thing the sort of six of these things is committing to active travel so committing to um helping nhs staff make good choices around how they travel um to work and, and I, th I think those those six things are, are a really good um top level overview what what of what it takes for a very complicated organization like the nhs um to to move to net zero it's huge isn't it can i um come back on one or two of those and uh in no particular order um just the one that i think i can uh I think is pressing. So active travel, is that what we called it? Active travel in terms of uh, how staff get yeah. to deliver services. So um, this is my experience. Any a normal sized or a, an average sized hospital probably uh, recruits or has on their payroll somewhere in the region to 3,000 in if a big hospital can be up to uh, five or seven, 8,000 members of staff, which depending where you live, if you're in, in an average sized town, it's probably the biggest employer in the area so i live in the west midlands um west bromwich is close to where i live and um the local hospital 
I don't know for sure, but I think it's one of the, the uh, standard West Birmingham, definitely one of the biggest employers in the area. And having the strategy that um, aligns with pe allowing people to have, you know, amenable access to work in terms of public transport um, schemes, which allow them to be, um, be more sustainable, is clearly going to have an impact on the town, on the area, fundamentally. Um, there's a huge programme that addresses, uh, um, it's called it's called out of hospital care, but I'm not too sure that 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 tells the story. So effectively, there are a number of different services, uh, whether it be something as simple as taking bloods or something in terms like physiotherapy and various others, um, where you can take that fundamental core service in a hospital, out of a hospital, which may be, you know, 10 stories high and it takes half an hour to park and actually have satellite sites or hubs closer to the community, closer to where people live so they can get better access to it. Not just the patient, but also staff as well. Um, there's an, another uh, spectrum or on the spectrum uh, called healthcare on the high street. So that mm -hmm. uh, does say what it is on the tin where, you know, the high street used to be or probably still is a place where you work, play, don't know what the other one, work, play and have your entertainment, so to speak. Um, but there's no reasons why you can't incorporate healthcare into that into that room as well. We've got, what is it, um, pharmacists and dietitians and dentists, you know, that's not um, uh, unheard of to be on the high street, but could we go further? And what it means is, is that we've already got the infrastructure to where people are, are are working and so forth. Uh, we're not necessarily going out of the remits. That that facility and what that looks like, um, you know, in terms of the shopping centres, there are sites or there are, are active venues that could be transformed um, to accommodate clinical services um, very easily. Um, and it all aligns to actually having better access to it. And I think the, the methods of doing that are available, but it requires an element of being bold um, and trying to do things a little bit differently. Um, if I said healthcare in the high street in by itself, probably, you know, nine times a ten people you laugh at me because how's that going to work? But actually, there are examples of this happening up and down the country. Um, we're not talking about knocking down hospitals per se. It's just about doing things a little bit differently to have a better outcome. Mm. And uh, as, a, as another note, it, it's a lot easier to make that kind of building um, low impact than it is to deal with an acute hospital site where where you've got such a density of um, operations, people, infrastructure constraints and everything else um, that as we've seen with there's been some recent standout buildings in the um, in the healthcare sector, uh, Foles Hill uh, being one of them, uh, that's a passive house um, uh, health centre effectively a, a new build and demonstrating that this uh, this can be done we can build um uh, we, can, we can build low impact new buildings that's that's not the um the biggest challenge the, the, the biggest challenge by far is actually for, for net zero is decarbonizing the existing uh estate is it worth um taking a step back and just set explaining why we need to get to net zero or do we assume that everyone knows no i think i i think I'd, I'd welcome that so yeah i'd welcome that insight but also what uh so i i i'm gonna be honest i sit on the fence i can see why we need to do it definitely give me the insight in terms of where it's coming from uh but we but there are many 
targets and strategies that the government and uh, our public sector body is trying to deliver. And the reality is, and I don't mean to be the party poopers, that we're not going to deliver all of them. Or am I wrong? I don't know. You tell me. You're not wrong. I, I think it's a huge challenge to to deliver all of them. Huge. Um, and, you know, despite all the pomp of COP26, um, I don't actually think we have the right um, commitments in, in, in place um, internationally to get us to where we need to be. And the simple scientific consensus is that we where we need to be is a net zero global uh, emitter of carbon dioxide by 2050 if we're to stand a chance of keeping global warming to 1.5 degrees on average which will will already be um, a difficult change in our climate and for some parts of the world extremely disruptive yeah. But 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 going beyond um, 1.5, it gets exponentially worse. So so that's where uh, that's where we need to be by by 2050. Uh, UK is a signatory to the Paris Agreement, so we on paper we've committed to, to doing that. COP26 was all about um, putting some meat on the bones of the the strategies, and it's very. Um, inspiring and reassuring to see uh, the NHS taking the lead with their with their strategy came out a year before COP26 um, and that's that's what we need then you know we need international commitments we need national level policies and leadership we then need organizational uh, strategies and of course in an organization like the NHS in reality, it's a huge federation of um, hospitals, trusts, um, bodies, people, individuals, uh, and we need action, um, for instance, on estates planning at, at trust and hospital level. So that's what um, it's great to see that happening. That's what that's what the uh, the task force is um, in, in place to drive. And, and the first sort of big um, projects to emerge, I think, under that um, vision have been stimulated by the public sector decarbonisation scheme or PSDS, which um, was actually a COVID relief measure um, put in place by the Chancellor. To um, to stimulate low carbon jobs coming out of the um, the lockdown, uh, and also to to deliver the agenda of public sector decarbonisation. So there was he had he he had enough good reasons there to put some money aside from Treasury, and PSDS um, was launched about two years ago with um, around. Uh, a billion a billion pounds in a fund um, to stimulate low carbon projects now many of these had already been um, prepared at estates level and um, therefore you know several acute hospitals 
uh, and and hospital trusts received funding under the first round of public sector decarbonisation scheme. And uh, I can talk about one of those um, that, that we're we're working on, which is uh, Imperial College Healthcare Trust. And uh, they secured a, a, a grant to decarbonise Charing Cross Hospital and Hammersmith Hospital. We're involved with Charing Cross. And um, we are uh, delivering a, a range of measures across that site. I mean, just to be clear, our involvement is as designers, uh, technical consultants and, and designers. We're working with a, a delivery organization called Breathe Energy, specialist energy and carbon reduction uh, organization. And you know, the bit in particular that we were brought into to support was the the decarbonisation of the heating system at Charing Cross Hospital. So just just to give you an idea that there are uh, these are major projects which would have been difficult to conceive five years ago, um, and now there is significant activity in that um, in the sector, which is great to see. So it's interesting. I've got questions because you're definitely delving into my area of work, where and you mentioned about estate strategies, which is the kind of you know key part of the work that I do. Um, and when I'm working with um, any of the clients that maybe I do work with, my remit is to not just have a document that sits on a desk or gets signed off and you know it gets put on a shelf. It's actually how can you make something that's livable and breathable. So for the point of work that you just mentioned, clearly that would have been. A priority that the organization would have voted on or agreed on said we want to do this over the course of the next five years or or did they just fall into it and it was actually we need to do this because we've been told to by regulatory bodies no you were right with the first the, the first one um the um because the energy manager at um, charing cross hospital has been um developing these plans for years um so, so the um, yeah, they, they take a they have a gestation period, you know, like like any big big plan, um, and then you know it's a case of having that plan ready, having the having done the work and the plan. You know what it really needs to consider is what you have in the in the estate. Um, so, what type of buildings? Where are they? How many? Where are the big users of energy? Um, the end users, and how do you, you know, how do you currently service them? That gives us um, a baseline then to work from, um, and and helps us consider. You know, we can go into a granular level, go to each building, and obviously there are different things you can do. You might be able to fit double glazing instead of single glazing, for instance, to reduce energy consumption um, or, or improve the lighting with LEDs. But at some point, most um, uh, big hospitals have um, have a common problem, which is that they're usually heated by central plant, which is burning fossil fuels. And, and that that is the same in the vast majority of hospital estates and um, that needs to be addressed in, in decarbonisation. 
that's where the um, the strategic thinking comes into play. Um, obviously, any changing plans for the future, like um, you know, moving services out of one site and onto another site, would have huge impact. Absolutely. So the strategy all it has to consider it has to be a master plan effectively for the trust for the sites and then and then for each site level you know you can develop a decarbonization roadmap um that's that's sympathetic to that that master plan and we're missing out you get um, uh, yeah i was gonna ask a quick question obviously but uh nearing the end of our time anyway but we'll um i'll, I'll fire away uh, i'm just and, and well, as much as I'm the host, I'm also listening to what you guys are saying, and I've got uh, a question that's coming up. Um, I'm, and I'm just reading between the lines. It's a question to both of you, so feel free to correct me if I've made any mistakes. But from from Oliver's perspective, it's like it, it seems like you're very much arguing the case of um, from the net zero transition perspective. You know, we've got this target, we've got this goal. That's what we're aiming towards, and we need to work towards it. Also, they're saying, okay. We've also got to look at the practicality of it. As in, what is the service that the NHS is delivering, and uh, you know how practical can we make it for the people who who need the attention from the NHS? And I almost got the impression also that energy efficiency and net zero isn't along one of the top agendas for the NHS. So I, I think um, yeah, yeah. So it's not that it's a top agenda. I think there are so many priorities. Um, how do you, in, in any given day, uh, in, if you take for example, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I was oblivious to, is it Omicron? That that wasn't on my radar uh, Friday and all of a sudden it's now on my radar in high priority. So it's how do you stay on top of, and instead of fine fighting, how do you have a more uh, longer approach in terms of that, uh, you know, tackle things? I'm a strong believer that you can overachieve what you can do in a year and underachieve what you plan to do in 10 years. And so we talked earlier about, you know, targets in 2050. What's that, is that 29 years from now, is it? I don't want to date date this um, this uh, podcast, but it's a long time. And it's like, <laughs> well, we need to have an understanding of what we can do now, you know, and just, um, this is a bit of a plug, but um, I think it's relevant, you know, some of the innovations that's come out of uh, looking at estate and making it more um, added value and trying to do things different is the LIFCO program. So this is, and let me get the terminology right, so some of your listeners may know what it stands for. So it's the Local Improvement Finance Trust. And it's a programme really to put investment into areas where there, um, or pockets of areas where there was uh, poor health outcomes. Um, and it was a, a programme which effectively, and just in my language, so I can articulate it better, um, it was a, a model uh, under the umbrella of like a, a, a public-private partnership. So you've got, the NHS in, in one hand and the private sector in the other hand, where um, the cost of that, that infrastructure in terms of like the maintenance of service was built into the running of the building. Um, so what that means is over the course of 10, 15 years, you know, whether it's, you know, from day one to, uh, you know, the 25th day of year 25, the building is in the same state structure. You know, you're not you're not having to start again and kind of build that. Now, what that and the, the, the reason why I mentioned that is because Looking at the LIFCO buildings, and there are several up and down the country, many of where you, you go and visit your own GP practice, it may be a LIFCO building, put it into size. I think there were like 49 LIFCO 
different organizations or, or, or programs up in the country. The company I look after or work for um, oversee 14 and we've got something in the region, 70, 80 buildings um, up and down the country. So it's a huge program um, and it was it was designed to actually balance out how can we get better at healthcare outcomes. But the program itself very much is integral to the things that we've just spoken about um, and more so because you've got the ability to be um, agile it reflects in terms of a the changing requirements of you know how services are delivered but also the priorities of and I'm I'm wrapping it under because I don't know all the, the schemes I'm wrapping it under sustainability so um, it's not a building which left this so you've got to now address you know uh, your carbon footprint or you've got to address um, you know how your heating structures are. It's actually already built in, and there's that ongoing conversation to address those things as we go forward. Um, which is probably the, I want to say probably the the approach that we need to take. So it's almost a, I'm, I'm over, you know, again, I'm oversimplifying for my benefit. So you know, it's almost like a lease car. You want to make sure um, you've got the latest, you know, or I'll do it even better. You know, if it's an Apple phone, you don't want to keep your your is it is it Apple One is it or whatever the technology is. You want to make sure you've got the Apple 13 or the iPhone 13 uh, taken forward and continue to have that trajectory going forward. Is it more more from a, a holistic perspective? Like that's your case as in if we're going to solve this, we need to look at everything all together, all at the same time and treat it with equal priority. So let me let me. Um, so no, I think there's peaks and troughs. And I think uh, you know, it's not that you're dropping the ball but you have to prioritize certain things for a season um and then you know you've got that to a position and then you move on to the next clearly uh right now is uh we want to make sure our staff and our patients are safe um so a number of missions have been put in place to make sure that um we're covid safe and that's that's you know touch wood that's going to be for a season uh i think the next priority which you know uh is for all the services that couldn't happen because of COVID or other other issues. Um, the elective work, we make sure that that's tracked back on track. Uh, you know, there's a there's a uh, a formula or, or or number that, in order to get back to where we were, hospitals and productivity needs to be at like 110, 120%. Well, to do that, we're going to have to work differently. You know, you can't put you can't funnel the same number of patients mm. through the door to do that. Um, but actually, what is the environment that we allow people to do that in? You know, is it safe? Is it uh, efficient? Is it looking at the longer term priorities, which we've set by our friend, Mr. Boris Johnson um, and alike? Uh, how do we take that forward? Um, and in the midst of all of that, we need to take on the other priorities. We probably haven't really touched upon digital, but that's a huge area in terms of how that takes forward and how it enables, you know, some of the priorities to be um, not even delivered, exceeded, actually. Mm. Even, even that COVID safe element, and I'll, I'll let you carry on from there, Oliver, um, it, it kind of has a huge impact on what you do and how you're working, because if it's not completely COVID safe and you've not got the right equipment, then how are you meant to go and survey the building and decide what the best solution is from an energy efficiency perspective? Uh, but I'll pass it back to you now. Well, you're right. And, you know, the practicality is that you... Um, safety has to come first and within the um, constraints of what's possible you do what you can so 
we, we simply haven't been able to access all the areas we would like to have looked at, um, for instance, in um, Charing Cross Hospital. But what we have been able to do is to survey um, almost all the primary heating and cooling distribution and infrastructure. And that's enough for us um, to put in place a, a transformational strategy, um, which involves switching from natural gas to um, air source heat pumps to um, to drive the heating and cooling of the um, uh, of, of that estate at Charing Cross Hospital. Uh, but you know that's the technical bit. I, I mean, I've, I've realised we haven't really talked anything technical today, which is quite refreshing. <laughs> um, and if anybody you know wants to know more about that, um, I, I'm presenting on numerous places in the in the coming sort of weeks and months with a bit more detail around the technical side of things but to come back to your question Mo and um, Alston about the the priorities um, I don't think there are odds with each other um, the the bottom line is estates um, should never uh, intrude on you know there should be a, it should be a facilitator for um, delivering care and you know you, you shouldn't uh, it should never be taking the, the the limelight or or stopping that happening and, and we simply need to deliver the net zero transition with that um in mind and i think the key to it um like in any period of disruption and this is a great period of disruption in in for the nhs for the energy industry particularly um, in any period of disruption, there is unease, there is fear uh, of change as the old ways um, come to an end, and, they, and some of them must. And there is um, fear about what the new um, way will look like. And we have a responsibility, I think, to um, to educate, to, to share um, learning and, and help educate people across the board, um, stakeholders in estates and, and hospital operations, there are some that spring to mind, um, about the challenges and also the, the, the objectives and why the objectives are worth um, striving for uh, and bring them on board to, uh, to, to the plants and take their concerns seriously and and um, address them in the solutions and i think if we if we if we can do that um if we can start this journey together um it it, it can be successful so we've got to start we've got to start together start this thinking about zero we say start with zero it's a very it's a very good point um you know i uh I see the value in it and I think we're very much at a step one. Is that the right phrase or, you know, mm -hmm. um, and we've got quite a long way to go. But the reality is it's progress, isn't it? And I think are we getting people excited? I think there's definitely I'm a strong believer that, you know, some of this change has to come from the the leadership, the board um, and then be trickled down and get everybody excited in terms of what we're trying to do and how it impacts, you know, you, whether it be, um, you know, the clinician, the consultant, 
the um, Porter, the catering staff, your um, you know estates team, everybody needs to play their role. It, it's not going to be done led by one set of professions. You know, I, I've missed out finance and the program managers going to they're obviously going to play a fundamental part in terms of delivering this because um, if any one part isn't on board, you know, you get discontent and then these three things don't happen, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, thanks, Austin and uh, Oliver, for for everything um, uh, discussed so far. Just to just to kind of start start bringing it to a close. Um, I've got a question, but I just want to request something. If you if you guys have any final comments to add before we we wrap this up. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. So I think um, you know my time in terms of you know what I do in as part of my day job. I've I've started to see a link between um, poor health outcomes and just the inability where we haven't got services aligned to where patients can have best access. And a, a robust estate strategy is an enabler to address that. And I think there's, uh, it's a subject matter that probably hasn't been talked about enough where, you know, having the right service in the right place, uh, right cohort of workforce in the right place can really unlock some of the challenges that we face in terms of um, poor health outcomes and health inequalities. It's a big issue and I think we, we say it all too flippantly. Um, but if we're really serious about addressing it, you know, we've got to get better at understanding how we look after our state. Agreed. Yeah, it's um, it's always it's tempting as an engineer coming to the table to look at a problem in, in through a purely technical lens. And, and, you know, you want to dive in and find technical solutions. But the reality is that um, the solutions probably 10% technical challenge and 90% um, human uh, to, to put it simply it it's um, it's about engagement um, and getting people to pull in the same direction so that's all it's been a fascinating discussion today definitely I've enjoyed it as well if, if we if we can wrap up then um, question to you both um, one at a time, please. Um, what what do, what do you guys see as uh, as the challenges, the core challenges that lay ahead for the NHS? Obviously, you've touched on both your agendas from a practicality, energy, and sustainability perspective in 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 depth. But if you were to pinpoint it, what would they be? Well, I'll just throw one in. I, I think the skills uh, there is a skills gap around. Um, facilitation and uh, technology to to deliver what I know as a sort of engineering insider needs to be delivered at an estates level to to um, to get to net zero. So the the how we need to scale as an as an industry um, as as consultants um, and advisors, as, as engineers and facilitators, it is significant. And, and that's something we're very focused on is bringing more, um, bringing more uh, young people, apprentices, graduates, school leavers um, into this um, challenge and giving them the tools and education they need to be effective yeah, no thank you thank you so much both of you for for 
joining me here on this uh, on this very interesting discussion. I've I've enjoyed it. I've actually made some notes. I've I've learned a lot from from both of you uh, during this conversation. So um, I'm sure some of our listeners are going to want to get in contact, and I'll, I'll be sure to. Uh, you know, but I think we're all on LinkedIn, so I'll, I'll leave all your LinkedIn profiles on there for everyone to reach out. Um, also, have you got anything that you want people to reach out to you specifically for? Any hints, tips, or advice? I'll, I'll, I can leave a link to your website as well. Yeah, so um, yeah, you'll find me. I'm, I'm pretty active on all social media platforms, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, and I guess uh, happy to have conversations with people that are uh, trying to understand how they uh support their organizations that they work in terms around estates within healthcare and happy to have that conversation in terms of the wider picture that's happening around the development of commissioning in terms of integrated care systems which is a, a another podcast in itself i suspect yeah we'll, we'll save that for the next round too then we'll save that one um uh, oliver same for you i'll, I'll leave your linkedin profile uh, i know you're recruiting as well at the moment uh for your for your team is there anything sure. else you want to say no, um, I, you know, I'm happy to talk to anybody really um, who's got an interest in the in the space. Certainly, any any practitioners, anybody interested in um, uh, in a career in in engineering, and anybody working in uh, decarbonisation or uh, on net zero um, transition. And yeah, but you you can find me on um, on LinkedIn and our website silveryms.com cool i'll be sure to leave all the links behind for frank for all of our listeners but once again uh thank you both of you for for joining me very enjoyable conversation